0: If you will stand with me, I'll be reading from Titus chapter 2 this morning as we finish out this chapter. Titus chapter 2, I'm going to be starting in verse 1, reading down through verse 15 this morning. Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we finish out this beautiful chapter of Titus 2, in which we've been given instruction on how to live how to conduct ourselves within the body of christ and in relationship to those around us we've been given the foundation for why we do that because of your great love for us and your salvation toward us we wait now for the coming of our Savior jesus christ as he rides in on the clouds someday and father in all these things uh, we want to respect and uphold your holy word They are ancient words, but they are very contemporary words at the same time. They are so applicable to our lives, it's difficult to imagine what life would be without them. So, Father, thank you for your special revelation through your words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. By raise of hands, how many of you saw in the news this past week, the church in upstate New York that gave away the AR-15 rifle last Sunday morning? Anybody see that? Church gave away a rifle uh, during their Sunday morning services. Here's what the pastor said in the news this week. He said, we give free food, clothes, and furniture to show our support to the poor in the community. We are giving away guns to people who are able to legally own guns and hunters to show our support for them. According to the rules of the giveaway, you had to be present to win the gun. I wonder how many people attended church that week to have a chance at that $700 prize. I hope Providence never gets to the place where where it offers gimmicks to get people to come to church. I hope that's the last thing that we ever do. In America, it seems as though evangelicals are more and more looking at the church as a place where they go shopping. It's like consumer mentality. If I like this church, I'll go there. If they give me free stuff, I'll go there. If I don't like what they say or if they don't give me what they want, then I'll take my business to the church down the road. somewhat of the mentality Uh, if if a church in any way tries to hold somebody accountable to the words of God uh, then I'll just pick up and I'll just move somewhere else and so in an attempt to curb that outflow of people pastors are coming up with all sorts of things to market their churches to bring people in the doors Pastors more and more are getting to the place where they avoid saying anything that might be controversial, anything that might offend. Why? Because the customer is king. And the customer is always right. And so we must please the customer in order for the customer to continue coming back. And so you see fewer and fewer churches preaching the authoritative word of God. And when you see churches that do preach the authoritative word of God, you often will see people bristle and this American independence, this thing that we've been taught as part of our culture sort of rises up within us and it comes really from our sinful nature and it says, ain't nobody telling me what to do. And so if somebody even attempts to say, this is what is right and wrong and this is what you should do and not do, we can sense within us this spirit of rebellion that begins to rise up. That's what Paul is getting ready to address as he ends this chapter of Titus 2. It doesn't come easy. uh, Some of these things that Paul has been teaching in this chapter. And Paul knows that. And he needs to prepare Titus. Titus, here's what's going to happen when you teach authoritatively from the word of God. And you need to be ready for the rebellious spirit that says, you aren't going to tell me what to do. I'll run my own life. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be pretty much focus on verse 15 this morning as we finish out this chapter so let's kind of dive into it and we'll look at the implications of this at least this one verse uh, for us today there's three things that we're going to notice here we're going to notice the matter what it is that that paul is talking about and then paul gives a very specific method on how he wants titus to teach the word of god and then he says and titus in the back of your mind here should be your mindset Here's how you go into this, teaching the Word of God. So we have the matter, the method, and the mindset. These are in your message notes if you want to take notes. So first of all, note the matter, what it is that we're talking about. If you look, it's right there in the very beginning of verse 15, the very first phrase. He says, declare these things. Now, what are the these things that Titus is supposed to be declaring? Well, it's all of the things that we've already covered from verses 1 down through verse 10. Paul says, here's how older women are to conduct themselves, older men. Here's how I want the younger women and the younger men. And here's how I want slaves to conduct themselves. And by the way, Paul says to Titus, here's why I want you to conduct yourself that way. And from verse 11 to 14, he gives the foundation. He says, Christ has appeared, grace has appeared, and it's the salvation of your soul.'" And you live in that today and it's changing you. And you're looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ comes back. Paul says, Titus, I want you to declare these things. And it's those same things that the pastor, the preacher, is supposed to declare today. A preacher should never come into the pulpit with his own things that he wants to to say with the own things that he wants to preach, with his own ideas. Preachers shouldn't preach about why the carpet in the church should be green. Preachers shouldn't preach about why you should cheer for this team and cheer against this team. Preachers should not preach about the potholes out in the street or the electric bill or whatever hobby horse they might have. Why? Because those are not the things of the Bible. Paul says, you declare these things. Now, those things might be implications of what he's preaching. But that's not what the preacher is supposed to come into the pulpit and preach about. He's supposed to preach about the things of the word of God. He's to preach the word of God. And uh, Galen read this this morning. Out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says there, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Now, when is in season and out of season? I don't know exactly. But if it's, it's either in season or it's out of season, it's one or the other. So, what Paul is saying is preach the word all the time. In season or out of season. All the time. Preach the word and only the word. Now, how is he supposed to do that? That's the method. And that comes in the next little phrase of verse 15. There's three verbs here that Paul uses. And he says, you should exhort and you should rebuke and you should, excuse me, you should uh, exhort, rebuke, declare, exhort, rebuke. Sorry, I missed the first one. Declare, exhort, rebuke. Declare literally means to say. It just means here's what the word of God says. And just explaining what it says. Exhort means to apply it. And if you have an NIV Bible, your version says to encourage there. And what that means is, once you've declared it, you need to encourage the people to do it. That's what that means to exhort, to encourage the people, walk in these things, call them to adherence. And then the last one, rebuke, means to correct. When one of God's saints wanders off and his life begins to manifest something that isn't in the word of God, it's the task of the preacher, it's the task of the elder to go to that person and exhort them and to rebuke them and say, here's what I'm encouraging you to walk in, but here's how your life isn't quite matching up and here's how you need to, to come along. Preachers should never be hesitant in doing this. James 1 says it like this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing listening to the words of God and doing the words of God are two very different things. And so Paul's instructions to Titus were easy. You need to declare them. Then you need to encourage people to do them. And then when they don't do them, you need to have the courage to rebuke them, to tell them where they've gone astray. Now, here's been my experience and maybe your experience too. It's easy to declare the words of God. That's no problem. I can stand up here and I can declare the words of God. That's fine. That's easy. It's easy to encourage you to do the words of God and to call you, to, to urge you on to adherence to the word of God. Those two things are easy. But you know what's hard? What's hard is rebuking someone. That's hard. To have to go to somebody and say, Friend, uh, your life isn't matching up to the word of God. And here's two things that happen when rebuking has to take place. There is a temptation within the preacher to be fearful. Because if there is a preacher that looks forward to rebuking, then that's a problem. Because no preacher looks forward to that. There's a temptation to be fearful. I I don't want to go and do that. And then on the other side of the fence, the one who's getting rebuked, there's a temptation to be defensive. Who are you to tell me what to do? Why are you coming talking to me about this? So there's two things I would just ask you to keep in mind when you think about rebuking. And the first one is this. If you're the person doing the rebuking, remember that you're going to that other person as a sinner too. Your life isn't perfect. Your life is a mess as well. All you're doing is going to the other person and calling them to obedience to a place that you see. They may turn around and call you to a place where you need to be more faithful. You're a sinner too. And secondly, if you're the person receiving the rebuke, remember to give the guy that's coming to you the benefit of the doubt that he loves you, that he cares enough about you to come talk to you. Because if he didn't care about you, you know what he'd do? He'd ignore you. He would just forget about it. He'd turn a blind eye. But the fact that he's coming to you ought to tell you that he cares for your soul. And so keeping those two things in mind can make difficult conversations much easier if they have to take place. So Paul tells Titus, here's what you're to preach. You're to preach the word of God. That's the matter of the the issue here. And here's the method. You're to declare, exhort, and rebuke. And what's the mindset? What's the mindset? We'll be spending the bulk of our time here on this particular idea. What's the mindset? Well, look what he says in verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke. And then look at that next little phrase. With all authority. With all authority. Authority means in the biblical context to command or to order. Now, when we hear that, we get a little stiff, don't we? Because we don't really like people standing up and commanding us to do something or to order us to do something. And I think the reason we bristle when we hear that idea of with all authority and commanding is because we don't understand what authority is biblically. Uh, we have this idea of what authority is based on other things that have happened in our lives. Some of you have been around people who have burned you with their authority they have done things with their authority uh, that are wrong and pastorally they have lorded it over the flock and when you make an attempt to correct that they immediately throw up the phrase you can't touch the lord's anointed and they have this very authoritarian attitude toward life some of you have been burned by that so when you hear authority you cringe because of what you've experienced that's a misunderstanding of what biblical authority is. Some of you, when you hear authority, maybe you, you think of the warped authority of wackos like Jim Jones. And everybody drank the red Kool-Aid, right? That was an authority figure. Or you think of the authority, uh, the guy down in uh, Texas, Warren Jeffs, who used his authority to sexually abuse numbers of girls in his congregation. That was an abuse of authority. So when we talk about authority, and when Paul here says to teach and declare a rebuke with all authority, we've got to understand what that authority means. Otherwise, we'll never feel comfortable with it. We'll always bristle at it. So I want you to turn, keep your finger there in Titus, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. And I want to show you what this authority really is about. Matthew chapter 7 is... The ending of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded discourse of our Savior while he was on earth. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And, And he teaches all these wonderful things and sort of blows the minds of the people and certainly rattles the cages of the Pharisees and the scribes a little bit. And you get to the end of chapter 7, the very, very end of it. And look at verses 28 and 29. And here's what, it, here's what Matthew records. He says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see that there? He was teaching as one who had authority. Okay, now flip over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, in verse 22. Mark records almost the exact same words. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. He says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Okay, Now, go over, keep going, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 32. Every one of the gospel writers picks up on this idea of authority. Luke chapter 4, verse 32. Same thing. It says this. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Now, why were these gospel writers also astonished by this? Was Jesus so clever that he was just more interesting than the scribes? Was Jesus more eloquent in that they could just listen to him and just wonderful? Was Jesus more humorous? I mean, did he have more jokes in his, in his sermons? What was it about Jesus' teaching that said and caused all of these writers to say, he taught as one with authority? Well, I think John finally explains it. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke. Get to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. John explains now why the people saw Jesus' teaching as authority. John chapter 7, starting in verse 14. John records these words. John 7, verse 14. About the middle of the feast... Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, and here is the key. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. Why did Jesus's words have authority? Because he was preaching the words of God. Why did his words astonish the people? Because he simply took what God told him and he told the people. That's not what the scribes were doing. That's not what the Pharisees were doing. They were preaching rules and they were preaching thousands of years of all this accumulated tradition. That's what they were preaching. And when Jesus came along and he preached the word of God, they recognized it. It was authoritative, the word of God. Now catch the implication here for today's preacher. I'm going to quote another pastor. He says this, you see, the preacher has authority if and only if he speaks the words of God. Let me say it even stronger. The preacher has no authority outside the Bible, none. I have no authority beyond scripture. No preacher does. The only authority I have is the word of God. To preach then is to preach the word of God. To preach the word of God is to preach with authority. To preach with authority is to command. Therefore, to preach is to command. And that's what preachers are supposed to do. They command the word of God to their listeners, to their hearers. You catch that? It's not the cleverness of the pastor. It's not the charisma of his speaking. It's not the glitz and glamour of being the greatest orator of all time. What gives the pastor authority is not his own, but it's the word of God that he teaches. That's the authority. So why Sean then... Do you spend so much time expositing to the Word of God? Why do you go verse by verse through the Word of God? Why do you sometimes go word by word through the Word of God? Because these are the words of God, and these are the authority in your life. So you've got to know them. You've got to understand them. I have no authority in and of myself. Any authority that I have has been delegated to me only as I teach the words of God to you. Now when people hear preaching with authority and commanding, do this and don't do that. This is what the Bible says. Don't do this, but do that. There's a couple things that happen. Some people, when they hear the words of God, they recognize it and they grip a hold of that and it changes them. They understand it and their life is different. There's other people When they hear the word of God and it's given with authority, it's given as a command, they're annoyed by that and it triggers within them this anti-authority sentiment. And those are the people that you see that are just kind of saying, well, who are you to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are? I'm nobody. I'll tell you that I'm nobody. This is what I'm telling you. This is everything. I think part of the reason why people bristle when they hear uh, authoritative preaching is because they're so used to poor preaching it is amazing the poor preaching and the entertainment that happens in churches across our country today you watch churches and they will often have these fluffy kind of pick-me-up, kind of sermon, that sort of pump up the people psychologically, give away a few guns or DVD players, and everybody's happy, and everybody leaves, and there's no substance at all there. There's nothing. Everybody just feels good until the next week, and you come back, and and you feel good again. And so when those people hear the authoritative, honest word of God, it sounds almost harsh, and almost critical. These kinds of folks aren't used to it. They like spontaneity. They like when the pastor stands up and says, you know, I was going to talk about this, but now I think I'm going to talk about this. And he launches off onto some big tangent and off he goes. I know one uh, pastor who prepares his sermons as he drives a church on Sunday morning. That's spontaneous, right? People aren't geared for, and they don't have an appetite for well-prepared challenging, insightful, deep-thinking truth. And when they hear it, they just tune out. Walt Kaiser says it like this, and I quote, American parishioners are often rewarded with more or less of the same treatment, repetitious arrangements of the most elementary truths of the faith, constant rants which are popular with local audiences, or witty and clever messages on the widest ranging topics interspersed with catchy and humorous anecdotes, geared to cater to the interests of those who are spiritually lazy and do not wish to be stirred beyond the pleasantries of hearing another good joke or story, end quote. Paul tells Titus, I want you to preach with authority. You give him the words of God and that's all you give him you call them to obey and then when they don't you have the courage to go and call them to repentance and I think that's what he's talking about at the last part if you look at the last part of verse 15 if you go back to Titus 2 the very last sentence of this chapter Paul tells Titus let no one disregard you let me tell you what he's not saying there He's not telling Titus to stand up there all puffy chest and say, now none of you guys are going to go around me. You better listen to what I have to say. That's not at all what Paul has in mind. When Paul says, let no one disregard you, what he's saying is, let no one circumvent the things that you're teaching. To disregard means to go around, to circumvent. And so he says, you preach the truth, and then you don't let anybody try to get around that. Don't let people try to find their way around the implications of the commanding word of God. When the Bible clearly teaches something that's not a suggestion, that's not a helpful hint, it's not something to make your day better, it's a command. It's not an option. The Bible says you do this, you do it. The Bible says you don't do this, you don't do it. It's a command, it's an order. And know this, when the preacher stands behind this pulpit and he tells you, do this, because this is what the word of God says, he's also telling himself to do this. Some of you have called me after church, this, uh, after church on some Sunday mornings. You said, man, Sean, you really stepped on my toes today. I can assure you when that's happened, I have stomped all over mine in the week before getting ready for that sermon. I'm under the same word as you are. The commands are exactly the same for me as they are for you. Paul says, you teach them as commands. And if they step on your toes, that's what they're meant to do. And Paul says, don't let anyone disregard you. You deal with the rebellion that comes against the word of God. You have the courage to go. And in multiple places throughout the New Testament, The Bible outlines how to deal with rebellion against the word of God. At the end of Titus, we're not going to be able to get to this, but the end of Titus in Titus chapter 3, if you look there, he says, um, if someone stirs up division, what do you do? You warn him once, you warn him twice, and then you have nothing more to do with him. Why? Because that person is warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. You deal with rebellion against the word of God. Let no one disregard the commanding words of Scripture. Now, what do you do, though? What do you do about the person who is obviously abusing their position of authority? What do you do with the preacher who's abusing and going beyond the pages of Scripture with his authority? Can he ever be confronted and challenged? Well, of course he can. And of course he should be. But I would encourage you in this. That confrontation should take place through the proper channels. That confrontation at least should take place with an attitude of respect toward the God-ordained position of that authority figure. I remember a story once that Pastor Randy Patton told about respecting the position of authority and it's stuck with me ever since. Pastor Randy was a relatively new pastor and after a Sunday morning service their church had a short business meeting. It was immediately following the service and as Pastor Randy was describing to the church uh, the actions that the elders were going to be taking on a particular situation, one of the members of the church stood up and angrily confronted Randy. I I don't remember exactly what he said his name was, so so we'll call him him Ted. Ted stood up, and he was angry. And right there in front of everybody, he voiced his disapproval of what Pastor Randy was saying. (laughs) Randy said he just sort of stood there. He didn't know quite what to do. And he said, just that quickly, one of his elders popped to his feet. And he looked across at Ted and he said, Ted, we may agree or disagree with the content of what you've just said, but the angry attitude in which you've said it violates the word of God, and we will now wait for your confession. The church sat there. Well, Ted, not knowing what to do, angrily turned and began storming out the back of the church. And as he did, this elder called after him and he said, Ted, we love you too much to let you live with this sin. Me and another elder will be at your house this afternoon to get your confession. Now, Pastor Randy said, that only has to happen about once every nine years in your church. (laughs) And people just don't stand up and do that anymore. Why not? Because we stand on the authority of God's word And we refuse to allow people to disregard it. And when we call people to account and say, this is what the word of God says, and we won't allow you to go around it, people know that we take it seriously. This isn't a book of suggestions. It's a book of commands. And God expects you to obey it. And every single time I hear some pea-brained guy say, Oh, just, if it makes you feel good, it must be right. No, that's not all what it says. Jesus didn't die so you could feel good. Jesus died so you could be forgiven and then obey your master. That's why Jesus died. And when you repent and when you uh, confess your sins and you by faith believe in Jesus Christ, you now have a new master. And you don't live in rebellion anymore. You live under his lordship. You live under his instruction. He calls the shots. What determines right and wrong? Your feelings? Never. The word of God. The word of God sets the standard for man's behavior. And who's going to dispense the word of God? The preacher is. That's his role. And so Paul says, Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. I would encourage you as a congregation to lift your preacher up in prayer because there's a temptations that a preacher has. There's a temptation to be fearful, not wanting to talk to people when they've done something wrong. There's also a temptation to abuse authority a very real temptation in the life of a pastor. So you pray for your pastor that the only thing he'll do for you is dispense the truthful word of God. And he'll hold your feet to it. He'll hold your feet to it. And then as you pray, pray for yourself that you would be willing to bring yourself under the authority of God's word. Under the authority of God's word that that would be your attitude, that you would desire to be pleasing to God as you obey his word. And as you and the preacher walk hand in hand, you will be a blessing to God and he in turn can bless your life. Is that what you want? That's what I want for you. And that's what I hope that you want for yourself. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your word. And it's not easy to come under the authority of your word at times we our hearts are naturally rebellious and we chafe under the authoritative words that you've given to us and yet we know that that's our problem and not yours so i pray father that you would change our hearts that you would cause us to desire to want to obey you that we would want to follow you pray for myself and every pastor across this country and across the world that our desire would be to only teach the word of God to teach it accurately to encourage people to obey it and to have the courage to talk and rebuke those who are disobeying but father that I and my co-laborers would have a humble attitude we would realize that we too are under your watchful eye We too are sinners. We too have faults. Father, we want to do what you've called us to do. So I pray as a congregation that together, as a group and as a pastor and as a leadership team, that we would walk faithfully behind the steps of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.